Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. It's Thursday. Hope you're excited about today's show, as excited as I am. Uh, today's show is going to be awesome. I've taped uh, and we've, we've put together a, another show with Warren Sapp today on Thursday that is also awesome. Uh, this show is going to be a different show, uh, but I, I'm going to encourage you all on our YouTube page, on Apple, <laughs> you got to go check out the conversation, the show I did with Warren Sapp today. It was so compelling and good and, and just, I, I didn't want to connect it to this show because this, this show is gonna be compelling and good and a standalone. So I'm just trying to give you guys as much great content as possible. And so I need you all to bear with me and double dip today uh, because this show is gonna be awesome. What I did with Warren Sapp was awesome. Uh, this fire starter I'm about to deliver, awesome. Uh, Steve Kim, Anthony Walker, Virgil Walker, they're going to be awesome. We're going to do some Tennessee Harmony on the back end of this show. I want to start, though, by clearing up a little room and talking about one of our great new sponsors, uh, who I am very, very pleased with. And I'll tell you why here in a second. But CB Distillery offers a full range of carefully formulated CBD and other plant-based solutions packed with whole body healing plant compounds and vital nutrients, 100% clean ingredients, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives, recommended by Dr. Kevin Frey, Mayo Clinic trained, internist, and preventative health specialist. If you're frustrated with a health concern that's not getting better, try CBD from the source I trust. CBDistillery.com, need better sleep? 90% of customers report better sleep with CBD. Could you use more calm? 81% say CBD helps with stress and anxiety. Suffering with pain after exercise, like me, 80% of people, including yours truly, report less pain after physical activity when using CB distillery products. Enjoy better focus and concentration. Visit cbdistillery.com and use my promo code FEARLESS for your discount. No prescription required. That's cbdistillery.com, promo code FEARLESS for 20% off, cbdistillery.com. I'm gonna tell you why I'm so pleased with these guys. I've heard the reports from my sister-in-law. 
in Cincinnati. She asked me for this stuff. She watches the show, heard me talk about it. She asked for the stuff. She has trouble sleeping. Her sleeping has improved incredibly. My mother called me this morning. She just got home from staying with my sister-in-law and my brother. Her package is there. She's all excited tonight. She's, she's heard from Sherry, my sister-in-law, about how much it's helped her with her sleep. It's gonna help my mom tonight. I'll report back to you guys on that. I can tell you personally that it's helped me with the pain from all this working out I'm doing. This stuff works. CBDistillery.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS for 20% off. Now, let me start this fire. And let me give you your daily dose of Dion. This week, Dion Sanders backed a bus over 18-year-old Cormani McClain. No one complained. No one called Coach Prime a sellout or a bully for publicly criticizing Colorado's top football recruit, a black teenager with a seemingly promising future. Back in February, when McLean was a five-star high school prospect, he chose to renounce his commitment to play at his hometown Miami to trace his dream at Colorado. A shutdown corner, he was a big get for Coach Prime. Everyone pretty much expected McLean to pair with Travis Hunter and give the Buffaloes an elite cornerback combination. Through four games, just hasn't happened. McLean has rarely touched the field. With Hunter injured, reporters are now inquiring why McLean isn't playing. Coach Prime offered a blunt assessment. Take a listen. You mentioned last week that <clears throat> Cormani's seeing the field was up to Cormani. Uh, I wonder if you could elaborate on what you want to see him do, one. And two, did he help his case? Study, late, prepare. Late, late against Study, Oregon. prepare, be on time for meetings, show up to the darn meetings. Understand what we're doing as a scheme. Want to play this game, desire to play this game, desire to be the best in this game, at practice, in the film room, uh, and on your own, free time. You do know that I check film time for each player upon the week. Thursday, I need film time from the whole staff so I can see who's been preparing. And that's just not about Kamani, that's about a multitude of them. So if I don't see that, that it, you would be a fool to put somebody out there and they're unprepared. Can't do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. I'm old school. I'm sorry. So <clears throat> that's Deion Sanders. That's Coach Prime. That is as brutal a public critique as you will hear from a college football head coach about any player, especially a freshman. Deion justified it as you heard. I'm old school. Well, I'm old school too. And I don't have much of a problem with Dion's harsh critique. It's the kind of thing Bobby Knight would do during his heyday as a college basketball coach. Many reporters and pundits blasted Bobby Knight for his bully tactics. No one feared criticizing Bob Knight and his old school military methods of motivation. You weren't called a racist or a sellout for publicly questioning Knight's coaching style. The sports media world hadn't been overrun with feminized ex-jocks and groupie reporters obsessed with access. You could disagree 
with a high-profile sports figure without running the risk of a dumb jock or a social media-controlled reporter screaming, that's racist! Those were the good old days. In this new era, Deion Sanders exists in a protective bubble where he's shielded from the kind of fair criticism Bobby Knight endured throughout his coaching career. Dion has black elite celebrity privilege. Black and white elites guard Dion's public persona as if world peace rested on maintaining his fragile ego. So Dion gets to publicly blast an underperforming 18-year-old kid without anyone questioning it. But if Dion, a 56-year-old multimillionaire, is publicly criticized in the slightest way, a battalion of defenders are quickly dispatched to smear the critic as racist or a sellout. Robert Griffin III reporting for duty. Ryan Clark reporting for duty. Skip Bayless reporting for duty. The list goes on and on and on. Everybody is mad at me for criticizing Deion Sanders. People are pretending to be mad at Oregon coach Dan Lanning for a brilliant pregame speech that never mentioned Dion's name. Skip Bayless, who used to criticize elite athletes, called Lanning's locker room speech venomous vengeance. Take a listen to Skip and Ryan Clark bashing uh, anybody that, Dan Lanning and anybody that criticized Deion Sanders. There is a deep-rooted sort of a venomous vengeance that is starting to manifest itself against Dion among white coaches. And, and I'm not going to say they're all white because we saw what Jay Norvell did just two weeks ago, yeah, you're, right? You, you're, you're right. Okay. You're it's, right. it's deep rooted and seeded because Dion didn't pay any dues that they all had to pay. Correct. Correct. He's simply mm -hmm. the greatest athlete who ever played. And he has shattered the mold as we have talked right. and talked right. about because that's who he is. He is one of the greatest talkers in the history of sports. He is as entertaining an interview as there is in all of sports as we speak. He is playing to his strengths. He is in the midst of the greatest turnaround in college football history, doing it his way. Not Dan Lanning's way, but Dan Lanning, that, that was venomous vengeance. That was real. I don't think he was playing just for clicks. I think he knew exactly where he was going, and he was speaking from his heart of hearts. Hey, let's he be says, real, though, right? Like, Prime is just being Prime. Deion Sanders is not attempting to be something new as a head coach. This is who he's <laughs> always been. And to That's be right. frank, this is who Deion Sanders is entitled to be. Deion Sanders has earned this. And let's be real. Like, these coaches are, are saying certain things about Deion, and I agree with Shannon. I have no issue with what Dan Lanning said. Neither do I. But – Deion Sanders is never trying to tear another man down to build himself up. I haven't heard Deion Sanders say a negative thing about another team or another man. Actually, when people come out and say things about him, he's always taking the high road. You know why? Because Deion Sanders ain't got to build himself up on nobody else. He is a Hall of Famer. He is a winner. He is a great coach. He is a great father. And so he doesn't have to do those things. And on the, and on the. Yeah, Dion's entitled. 
He can do all those things. He never tears anybody down. Huh. Wonder what Cormani McLean thinks about that statement. RG3 insinuated that Danny Cannell is racist because Cannell isn't quite comfortable lauding Dion as the greatest coach in history. Can you not see the hypocrisy and fraudulence? These guys are all social justice warriors. They're allegedly fighting against the oppressor so that young black boys and girls aren't victimized by white supremacy. They're allegedly fighting for kids like Cormani McLean. Or are they? Because I haven't heard one of them defend McLean. McLean needs tough love. He needs to be held to a certain standard. Public criticism will make McLean a better person and a better performer. But public criticism will destroy Deion Sanders and all black men. So, some, make that make sense for me, please. Cormani McLean, public criticism is just what he needs. It's going to make him great and better. It's gonna make him a better performer. But public criticism of Deion Sanders, oh God, it's just a bridge too far. It's gonna destroy Deion and all black men will suffer the consequences if Dion is criticized. So, please, someone, send me an email, comment on YouTube, or comment, please, comment on Apple, anywhere. Explain to me how an 18-year-old kid can get roasted publicly, and that's great and good. But a 56-year-old multimillionaire is so fragile, and his standing is so fragile that if someone criticizes him, not only does it destroy Dion, but all black men are in jeopardy. Make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know what makes sense? Elites protecting another elite so that they can get access to whatever post-game party Dion is throwing. It's a racket, a racket for elites to look out for each other. That's why yesterday I was shocked, shocked, when I learned that former NBA player Kwame Brown couldn't see through this whole charade. I like Kwame a lot. You've heard me talk about him here on this show. You've heard me defend him when he was in a, in a storm of criticism. Kwame has his own podcast. Kwame's very authentic. I think Kwame comes from a very honest place on virtually everything he says. But I think he missed the mark on this whole Dion thing. I wanna play you a couple of clips of, let's play them back to back, clips of Kwame talking about me and defending Dion Sanders. As a Christian brother, you call your Christian brother to the side if you feel like he's doing something wrong. Yeah, you, you call him to the side, you don't, and I might have to slide off camera while I'm talking. You call your Christian brother to the side and say, hey man, I don't agree with X, Y, and Z, and uh, as your Christian brother, maybe you should do bop, bop, bop. But you definitely don't get up on these airwaves and challenge a man and say, and your only excuse is that he's too flamboyant? That's his personality. <laughs> so he's not gonna get into heaven because he's too flamboyant. 
He's not going to get on into heaven because he brings celebrities on the sideline, which many coaches bring celebrities on the sideline. When I played for the, the Lakers, it was nothing but celebrities in the locker room and everything else. When I played for the Wizards, everybody came and saw MJ. We had people at practice that come see MJ come back. Celebrities are all on the sideline. Denzel Washington was at the game. He was one of the biggest celebrities. LL Cool J. Or how Biden would say it, LLJ Cool J, 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 or whatever the hell he said. So I don't understand Whitlock's judgment of Dion in that way. So for Jason Whitlock and everybody that has so much scrutiny, I told y'all years ago, a black man is going to be scrutinized for every single thing he says. And it's going to be us that do it to him. I wouldn't give a hill of beans if Jason Whitlock just gave his opinion on Dion as a coach. But he's making personal, personal assessments of a coach. You're not doing that. I have never seen this many personal assessments on a coach in a long time. I haven't seen so many personal attacks on a coach in a long time. Bobby Knight used to beat up his players, throw chairs at him, all that. And get what they said about Bobby Knight. Oh, man, he's a great coach. He's teaching these black kids responsibility. And mothers were sending their daughters, fathers were sending their sons to Bobby Knight, a white guy, to kick, his, kick their ass and teach them how to be men. What kind of bullshit is that? How come everything a black man does gets scrutinized to the point where it's like, golly. So I do not understand Jason Whitlock's attack. Jason Whitlock, you fell short of grace. Everyone has fallen short of grace. If you're looking for protect, uh, uh, perfection, seek God, because that's the only one that's perfect. So Kwame said a lot there. I I'm going to try to take him in order. Not going to get into heaven. Uh, that's what he basically said that I was suggesting about Deion Sanders. I think anybody that's watched this show has never heard me make any type of judgment or ruling about anybody getting into heaven. I'm scared to death. I'm not going to get into heaven. And I talk about, I basically confess all the reasons why on this show. I, I, I can't. Again, so it's just never happened. The accusation that I've said Dion's behavior is going to prevent him from getting into heaven is just not accurate. It, it's, it's pulled out of thin air. And, and, so, and then the personal assessment of a coach, I've never seen this. Kwame, I'm going to assume, doesn't watch this show because he's clearly never heard me talk about Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich or any of these coaches I don't like or I don't like what they do. I personally assess them all the time and their public behavior is under scrutiny on this show all the time. I can't stand Popovich and Steve Kerr. I've made it very clear. I've written about how I can't stand them. I've talked about what frauds they are, done it all. And both of their resumes as coaches far exceed Deion Sanders' resume. Rip those guys all the time. Marty Schottenheimer, God rest his soul. Dick Vermeil, Gunther Cunningham, any them coaches in Kansas City. Roy Williams, who's like my favorite college coach when he was a coach at Kansas. It, Bill Self, great guy, friend of mine. Criticize them all. 
Charlie Weiss, uh, who I'm friendly with now, when he was the coach at Notre Dame, ripped him all the time. Th this is what I do, it's my job. I'm a critic. I make assessments of people based off their public behavior. That's the job. And, and it, it, uh, what we're basically screaming is black men. We're not built for this. We can't endure what white coaches have gone through for years. Because then I'll get to my final point, Kwame. Bobby Knight didn't get criticized? Are you kidding me? I gotta check Kwame's age to, to just, because he, he just, he has no idea what, what he's talking about. Uh, it, it's, it's like, that's almost like someone saying, it, it would be the equivalent of, no one ever called Jason Whitlock fat. Huh? I mean, to say, Bobby Knight never, Kwame's 41 years old. That makes him 15 years younger than me. Let's, <laughs> now let me check uh, Bobby Knight, just, Bobby's 82. And, and again, I'm just, I'm just trying to be factual here. I could speculate. Yeah, he comes to Indiana in the 1970s. And so his heyday at Indiana is probably from 1970 to 1994, let's say. Or, you know, it's, I, think he get, I think he got there in 71. His, all the way through the mid-90s, he's dominant there. If, if Kwame's, Kwame's born in 1982, so at best, he's born in 82 or 81 or somewhere around in there. He, 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 I get, he was alive the last decade of Bobby Knight's success. Was he paying attention at Indiana? Was he paying attention to Bobby Knight at that time? I doubt it. He's living down in the South. He's just a little kid. This is before the internet, uh, before 24-hour news cycle. Kwame, I don't think you know what went on with Bobby Knight, because to suggest that Bobby Knight wasn't criticized is laughable. He's, he's arguably the most vilified, successful coach in the history of sports. I'm, someone, Hadley, David Reed, whoever's listening, can, is there anybody that we could compare to Bobby Knight in terms of level of criticism leveled at them while being successful than Bobby Knight? Is there anybody that, that is in the same hemisphere? The man was vilified and people sat around waiting for him to fail or waiting for him to get in some controversy so they could vilify him some more. Did he have a handful of defenders? Yes. But the overwhelming majority of the national media hated Bobby Knight. This is, and, and again, I, I know everybody gets a podcast and everybody gets a say and everybody's opinion matters, but that is my problem. There's no qualifications for people just standing up and saying anything and, and voicing an opinion as an authority while I sit here and, and try to like fact check my opinions, other people just say whatever. But again, I, I just wanna walk you through. Dion not getting to heaven. 
never been part of my argument. Never seen a coach personally assess the way Dion. That's completely untrue. Bobby Knight wasn't criticized. That's a joke. Kwame, I like and respect you, and I think you're authentic. You can criticize me all day. I told you that when I talked to you a year or two ago. I, could, I couldn't care less. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate the authenticity. But you're talking about things you don't know anything about. More, more than that even. Kwame, this is what blows my mind. When you were a straight out of high school, 19-year-old NBA player, Michael Jordan used his elite status and leverage over the media to bully and smear you, Kwame Brown. Jordan was frustrated that the Wizards used the number one pick to acquire a teenager rather than, a, than trade for a veteran like Elton Brand who could help Jordan win immediately. Jordan's dissatisfaction with Kwame Brown damaged Kwame's reputation for the rest of Kwame's career. Kwame, again, the, 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 Dion, an elite athlete, accomplished, using his celebrity status and leverage and all the idolatry that, that goes towards him from sports media people, bullying Cormani McClain. Dion's public critique of, of Cormi, or Cormani McClain, that could do some real damage to this kid's reputation. I'm not whining about it. These kids now make money through NIL and all that other stuff, but you can't catch, you can't find examples of a lot of coaches that talk about an 18-year-old freshman the way Dion just talked about Cormani McClain. But no one cares. Everyone just wants to idolize Coach Prime. Worshiping Dion, that's all that really matters. The kids at Colorado are all disposable. Their only purpose is to enhance Dion's reputation. Racial idolatry blinds us from seeing what's obvious. A white coach throwing an 18-year-old black freshman under a bus would be criticized. Dion was praised for it. And I'll be ripped for pointing this out. That's my fire starter. That's my fire starter. The, 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 I, I don't know if anything could be more crystal clear. This hypocrisy and idolatry and worship of Dion and how he can take a dump on an 18-year-old kid. No one say a word. Not a word. Oh, that was great. Yeah, Dion, he's old school. But Dion get criticized and half of the internet melts. I don't know how many different YouTube channels I've gone to that are all just go, oh my God, Whitlock has criticized Dion Sanders. What's the matter with him? He hates himself. He hates black people. It's personal. And, and yeah, this is what happens when everybody gets a podcast, everybody gets a platform. The uninformed shout down the intelligent. The uninformed shout down the actual informed people. 
The uninformed shout down people that actually have a standard and a set of values and a set of beliefs that they adhere to, to all advance their racial idolatry agenda. Cut it out. I'm just doing my job. The same job I've been doing for 30 years. I get that you have a podcast or you have a blog or you have, or, or you're just out clout chasing and groupie chasing like everybody else. And I'm not, that's, that's not specifically directed at Kwame Brown. I done told y'all I like Kwame. You can say whatever he wants. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about Ryan Clark. I'm talking about Keyshawn Johnson, Skip Bayless, the whole cabal of, of Dion worshipers and idolaters. I, I, I've never seen anything like the, the you know, I, I'll, and Roy certainly doesn't fit this category. But again, when I got Royce doing videos, saying, hey, Jason, should quit talking about Deion Sanders? I'm just like, hey, I, I get Deion's good looking, got a nice smile, and everybody loved watching him play, but he's just a man. And I've been talking about other men like this for 30 years. I got receipts everywhere. You can ignore them and say, oh, he only criticizes black people. Any tiny bit of research blows that up instantly. The only people who get triggered and whine like little babies is us. I can shred Megan Rapino for two or three days in a row and white people don't curl up in a little ball. Oh my God, you criticizing Megan Rapino. I can take dumps on Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich every day of the week. And what, oh God, you're criticizing Steve Kerr. Oh, you must hate white people. Why are we the only ones doing that? And we supposed to be men. Crying like little babies, like little girls. It's embarrassing. If you're not man enough for leadership, don't take a leadership position. You know how much criticism I take? You see me whining, oh God, they're racist. I've been taking criticism a lot longer than any of my critics. White folks and black folks saying crazy stuff about me that's factually untrue. I signed up for this. I got a big mouth. I say big things. I blow V8. There's blowback to that. So I'm not going, oh, don't, don't criticize me. I'm black. Dion's got a big mouth and bloviates. Has no problem taking a dump on 18-year-old kids. There's blowback and pushback for that. All of you whiners and criers and fake Black social justice warriors, you're doing this for black people and you're protecting. No, nah, you're protecting an elite because you want to get invited to whatever party Dion's throwing. Big kill now.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Black Racism in America, previously on Fearless. We are not parenting our kids the way we should or the way we used to. And until black people stop trying to point the finger at the white man, it's only going to get worse because the white man don't have his foot on our necks. We're not parenting the necks that we are responsible for. This is an uncomfortable conversation that I think we as black people are going to have to have. And it it ran through my mind. uh, It made me think of Jesse Jackson in the 1980s. And Jesse Jackson in the 1980s uh, got in trouble for uh, saying there is nothing more painful to me at this stage in my life than to walk down the street and hear footsteps, then turn around and see somebody white and feel relieved. He got in trouble for saying that in the 1980s. And so, and, and you know, it was big controversial and, and black people scolded him for that. And, and uh, but I'm just thinking like, this has been an issue since the 1980s that we know is true and relevant. And, and we talk about it amongst ourselves, but we are completely ignoring it. And, and, and the uncomfortable conversation we have to have right now is that there's a black racism problem in America. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's go out to L.A., bring in uh, the Korean Cosell. Cosell, uh, it's almost, I'm, I'm not that far from my uh, Delta Airlines flight out to L.A. Uh, I, I still have my ticket. I haven't asked for a refund. There's a good chance I'll be eating barbecue and watching uh, Colorado USC with the uh, UNJB. Look, I got a ticket! You know what this is? And, and it's this perfect timing because we're talking about Cormani McLean. You're yeah. that top 50 blue chip parade all American who gives a verbal commitment like Cormani McLean did. <laughs> I, I remember when he said, I'm going to Miami in November. We're like, oh, oh, that's our future shutdown cornerback, Sauce Jr. But then come signing day, we're like, okay, going to get that fax anytime soon, get that letter of intent. <laughs> No, no, he's going to sign it tomorrow. going to sign it tomorrow. Okay. Mario Cristobal, my guy and the staff, we're all waiting. We're all waiting. All of a sudden, like, call, but where's he going? Colorado? So right now, you are that guy with the hat. You got the Nashville hat, the stay-home hat, and then you got the L.A. hat. Till we see you, you're, not, you're nothing more than a verbal commitment. Keep that in mind. 
I'm a veteran at this. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's a good analogy. So that yeah. fax actually comes through with the sign, <laughs> yeah, with the yeah. sign letter of intent. Right. Uh, that, Thank that, you. That's a good analogy. Thank you know you. what? I'm glad. I, I, you're a good person to talk to about Cormani because I last night this morning I watched a bunch of highlight tapes of him from high school and. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's really impressive. He's physical. He covers. He's long. He's close to six foot two. Can't get on the field. And and Dion has taken a dump on him. What do you think of my contention that if Dion can take a dump on an eighteen year old kid, and everybody applauds that, how come I can't criticize and other people can't criticize Dion Sanders and everybody be good with that? You know what? I agree with you on that point, but at, at, at the risk of being called Kim Sean Johnson, I like the way he's handling this guy. Yeah, um, there, there needs to be tough love. Here's the word on Cormani McLean, who obviously was a top 20 player. He's the type of guy that is a foundational piece to any recruiting class, but he's tall and lean, but he's also very skinny. He is really, really light. And like a lot of other guys, whether you're a five-star or not, there is a learning curve. I've been told by people that are much closer to the situation that I am that there was some talk in the Miami football offices that, hey, this kid is incredibly talented. Yes, we want him. But in certain respects, you're going to have to work with them, not just on football, but on other things, and once a particular assistant coach or a staff member by the name of Demarcus Van Dyke, who was the conduit to the family and to the program, once he kind of left, that thing frayed. And I was told that the defensive back coach actually told Demarcus Van Dyke, if he gets here, this is going to be your problem. We're not dealing with these other issues. So there are problems, okay? This is kind of a high-maintenance thing. Now, look, you can call Dion a hypocrite because I've read books where Dion was very, very casual. I've read stories where they're doing uh, when he went to Dallas and the coordinator says, so, Dion, what do you think about this? And Dion has his feet on the table. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that number one receiver? I got him. That's all I need. I'm good. So, look, it is a question of is he being a hypocrite or is this a situation of do as I say, not as I did? Yes. However, I think this is refreshing that Dion is not handling it with kid gloves and is actually enforcing some discipline on him because the way he acts as a coach is going to be different than he was as a 26-year-old football player. Steve, I would love for that to be true. But in many ways, he acts the same way as he does as a 26-year-old football player. Again, take them damn sunglasses off. Look people in the eye and talk to people like a grown man rather than this little shtick he's got of hustling and selling sunglasses and being defiant against Jay Norville and just and, and then uh, do you believe now and all that other stuff that he never walked back. He hasn't done it since, but he hasn't walked it back. But 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 Steve, it, it, here's what I'll say. And, and I don't have a problem with Dion calling the kid out. I, I, I really don't. It's something I think a Bobby Knight would do or, or any person frustrated and desperate trying to reach a young person. They may do that. But don't tell me I can't criticize Dion publicly. Right. No, you Tough are right. love and all that. Yeah, I am at that right there. I am with you. 
There is no argument. Me and you in, in, are in lockstep and where we're eating ribs on Saturday. Well, at least I will be. I will be thinking of you saying, you know, Jason's got a good point there. He's got a good point. I, I mean, Bobby Knight literally used to tell people right in front of the player, if he pissed them off at practice, he, he'd go to like one of his assistants, Joby Wright. Joby, I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever bring me another player like this, you're fired. Right, and right in front of the – and by the way, I think he actually meant it. But – Coach Prime is in a catch-22. If he lets this kid play knowing that he's not working hard, he's not living up to the standards of other players, well, we're all going to criticize him for not being a tough disciplinarian. And number two, you know this, Jason, you were in that locker room as a player. You might lose the rest of the team. Okay? Now, we can have an argument about whether he should be so vocal about naming a kid and, in essence, some would say throwing him under the bus. But to be fair, Jason, if you look at those situations where he's bringing up this young man, he's being asked specifically about him. It's not like he gets up to the mic and says, hey, guys, everybody, uh, I want to give a status on my team. This guy's injured. This guy's injured. And Cormani McClain not practicing. It's not, That's not the way it's working here, Jason. Let's be fair Ask about me it. the question. Ask me the question, Steve. Uh, Same uh, one Dion got asked. Uh, Coach Prime Whitlock, what's going on with your five-star cornerback? Why is he not seeing the field? Young guy that has a lot to learn. A lot to learn. This game is completely different than high school. You can't just show up and survive off talent. He's just a young guy that's going through the transition. We're working with him. We're trying to get him to understand what it takes to compete at this level. Uh, when, he, when he figures that out, he's going to be a great player for us. Okay. Basically, you – all right. What's Coach Sanders say? He just primed it up a little bit. He just, he just put a little pizzazz on. He high-stepped. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, he just he made it a national story and embarrassed this guy. My comments maybe get picked up by a blog or two, but they're not salacious. It doesn't go viral. Everybody's not paying attention to it. The kid can survive. Okay. He, to me, th there's a way to read his comments is like, hey, this kid's going to be in a transfer portal. Let's kick him out. Let's push him further out. Uh, th that's how I hear those uh, comments. The, the other thing, the other thing, Steve, you got to admit, this is rare because what Dion, I don't think, fully understands is there's a high percentage of four and five star recruits that you miss on that just yes. aren't. They're not who you thought they were. Right. And, and I'm going to this guy's a grown man, but I'm going to call him out because uh, he's grown now. But I can remember when Michigan landed a running back named Derek Green. Big mm -hmm. dude, thought he was going to be the next Ron Dane. Soft as butter. Soft as butter. And, 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 and he ended up not being anything. I ended up transferring and all that. He just wasn't the same. Brady Hoke, and this guy was a national recruit, top 10 player, running back. Great, never called him out publicly, never... Never said what I said, soft as butter, you know, doesn't, doesn't know how to hit a hole, blah, blah, blah. It, it just, this is, for experienced coaches, they go through what Dion's going through with Cormani all the time, and they handle it differently because they know, like, yeah, this happens from time to time, or pretty consistently, 
Deion Demise handled it like a rookie head coach, and he's desperate because he really he, he had his mouth all set and I expectations all set. Man, I'm gonna have these two great young corners, and we're gonna it's gonna help out our defense, and, and we're gonna win eight games this year. And now he's looking at Travis Hunter hurt, and and Cormani not being able to play, and he's like, how am I gonna get to six victories? And and he's desperate because again, this isn't a long term deal. Deion's executing. He, he, he does not, he is not planning on being in Colorado three years from now. Dion thinks he can win now, win right away, 10, 11 victories, and ride off into the sunset. Look at what I pulled off. And, and now he's starting to figure out, man, oh, this is going to be harder than I thought. Let me, out of frustration, take a dump on Cormani McLean. And plus, I know I'm protected. No one in the media will question anything that I do. Jason, I will agree that, okay, so I think we can both agree that tough love is needed, but the way he went about it was out of bounds. Okay, it's not the first time he's done it, and I actually thought this was really kind of grotesque. Last year when he was at Jackson State, there was a transfer that was actually at Miami, a young man by the name of Mark Pope, a wide receiver. Thought he was getting a fresh start. It didn't work out, and he actually, during one of the reality shows that they taped incessantly, said, Mark Pope, get up, and he said, Everyone voted off the team. Get out of the room. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Dion. That's that's not a way to mentor young men. Okay? He used him as a prop to throw him off the team. And I'm thinking, and, and, and look, I have no feelings for Mark Pope. He was a disappointment at Miami. But I'm thinking, wait a minute. You, you, there's a better way to do this. How about in private saying, Mark, if it's not working out here, you are free to transfer again. And I'm with you. So basically, my advice to Coach Prime is you got to be like that Cheez-It commercial for that piece of cheddar. Just say, not ready. Not ready. Just go. That's all you got to say. Not ready. And just next question. I'm with you on that, sort of. I'm going to give you another one of just, and I didn't go here in my fire starter, but, but, but it's relevant today because I, 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 I want someone to help. I never liked you're bringing Brittany Renner, and she graduated from Jackson State, but you're bringing her to your team, your locker room, to talk to your players. What does a Instagram whore, what value does she bring in talking to your players? The one, she's caught, she got 35 bodies on her. We know it's really closer to 100 than 35. What value does that what does that do? Again, and and I'm not some prude. Anybody that knows me or listens to this show, been very, very, very honest about had an obsession with Brittany Reiner, and certainly had an obsession with women that fit her profile. So I'm not some prude, but that's not what you bring to the locker room for young kids and there's something to learn from her, that's just a guy chasing social media clout. He's doing the same thing uh, uh, Shannon Sharp is doing, bringing her on Club Shay Shay. It's just for clicks and engagement. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, when she dropped the 35, uh, I think people wanted a recount more than they, they did the 2020 <laughs> election, but that's a different story for another day. I think you may have, you know, not included a zero on the right side. Number. But, however, she, she didn't count all the mail-in ballots. 
<laughs> anyway, let's get serious. Let's, we are doing a serious yeah. show here. Now, I, I, I'm going to maintain this. I, I'd rather bring in her than uh, Brenda Tracy. I mean, I, I still think it's a better choice than what Mel Tucker made. Come on now, Jason. And he got fired. Yeah, he got fired. He got fired. Um, Jason, one other note. Just circle back on my – this is after all well, my show. I want to call an audible. The issue that I have yeah. with Dion, if you are going to criticize his approach, and I could see your point, this is already a kid that may have not wanted to go to Colorado. I, I believe that there was an NIL – and I believe that there was external pressure. I remember, I think it was Gilly the Kid, when they spurned Miami, they did this announcement where a grown man is on the floor barking like a dog. It was this big spectacle. And my view is you already have a kid that has never left Florida. Now he's going into the cold weather. And this is a cautionary tale, and I've said this. If you're going to go to a school uh, for an NIL, make sure it's still a school you want to go to. But at the end of the day, your handlers and your mother and your parents and your uncle Ray Ray and Pookie, they're not going with you every day. They may get part of the cut, but you're the one who's going to have to be at that school and you get one college experience. So there's a part of me that does actually feel for Cormani McLean and all young men. And I will say this. If he ever tries to come back and transfer portal back to Miami, uh, I would hope that Mario Cristobal uh, picks him up like Uncle Phil did jazz and throws him out. Because there's still some harsh feelings, but it's not, nothing personal, <laughs> just business. We're okay in the recruiting front. Look, I love the point you're making because, and I'm going to take it a step further. It's not just cold up there. Uh, these black kids from Florida going to a community that's 1% black, Colorado, and a, a university that I believe is like 1% black students. Your football teammates are basically, and maybe some guys on the track and basketball team, that's all the black people you're gonna see mm. in Boulder and university. You take, take, I can't remember what the percentages were at, at Ball State when I was there, but let's say we were seven, eight percent of the uh, population, the campus population. In the city of Muncie, we were 25%, 30% of the Muncie population. That's not the case in Boulder. And so, yeah, Dion and these guys say, hey, we're just gonna buy recruits with NIL money and Dion's personality. Well, what happens once they get there and the kids have to live in Boulder, Colorado, and they're used to that Florida heat, and they're used to an environment that you don't have to ship in every rapper to make the campus feel black friendly or, or whatever. And, and so some, it may not fit everybody's deal. With this kid, I, I could see, cause I've seen the pictures of him and his mom hugged up with Dion, and he, this is when he's in high school with the big gold chain. He, and Dion, when he's selling this prime time persona and he's making everybody call him Coach Prime, I don't think he realizes the environment that he sets and the kids that are like, they've heard the stories about Dion and how he conducted himself. And Dion can sit up there and yell and scream about, I'm old school and this is the way we do it. And everybody that has paid any attention, that ain't the way you did it, Dion. Yeah. That ain't the way you did it. And I'm just like you, Dion. I'm a corner, I'm a five-star guy. When you were recruiting me, you told me 
I was just like you or I was better than you and blah, blah, blah. So I can throw my helmet out there and just show up on game day just like you, Dion. Yeah, so Jason, you're telling me the uh, it's not just the snow that's really wide up there in Boulder. But yeah, you know, <laughs> if you watch the 30 for 30 they did on the Bill McCartney era of the Buffaloes, where they had a lot of kids from inner cities of L.A., Houston. There were issues. Part of that dealt with how these guys had problems. They ran into stuff. And I remember in the late 80s, as that program was building, Sports Illustrated did a whole story on them kind of demonizing the players and the run-ins with the law. I almost thought it read like a hit piece. I thought some of it was unfair. I remember there was a lot of controversy over that story. So this is nothing new. And even in this climate today, look, uh, if you see Cormani McLean talk and the way he kind of interacts with people, he's a shy kid. You can kind of tell that he's not the most uh, extroverted, loud personality. In fact, he's really not like Dion at all. And I think there's a realization that comes from the – look, places like Boulder are great to visit as a high school blue chipper. You get to spend a weekend there. You're treated like a king. The, enough of these young men do not realize there's a reality that when you sign with the school and it's 2,500 miles away and then and there's no more family, there's no more, no more support system, and now you are in a business because that's what college sports is, and you're just dropped off there – a lot of these kids, like maybe Cormani, really didn't know fully what he was getting himself into. Steve, I love this conversation so much because I'm t you're not going to hear it anyplace else in the sports world. That They're not going to dig into any of these issues that have real impact on what's, whether or not Dion's going to be successful or not. There's a very surface-level conversation going on about Dion and, and people tweeting out, look at all the A-list celebrities that are going to be on the sideline this weekend, and <laughs> Dion is this, and Dion is that. And it's very hard to get to have the conversation about, like, no, here's what's really going on. I, 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 I watch, because, again, I'm, I'm immersed in this stuff and trying to be as informed as I possibly could. So I watched a little of Joel Klatt talking about this weekend's game. And, and, and Joel talked about, you know, USC's defense is led by its pass rush and yes. their defensive line. They're getting to the quarterback better than anybody and not doing it with blitzes. It's, it's their defensive line. Yeah. And so Shadour is going to be under a lot of pressure. And so it, this game this weekend could end up worse than last weekend's game. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it really could. Now, he, Joe pointed out that there's some tackling issues in the back half of USC's defense that allows for big plays. But are you even going to be able to get – the ball to those guys, will you have enough time? Will your offensive line get so overwhelmed that, again, there will be no running game, and you're lining up third and eight, third and nine, or third and 13 too many times, and, and eventually what's going to happen when that happens is, and they haven't really been bothered by this yet, but there will be turnovers. Shadur will throw interceptions. There will be fumbles, and some of those may get taken back to the end zone, and that's how a game really gets out of hand when it's not just the offense scoring. And and I do I, I USC's offense is the real deal. I, I I don't I do think Colorado's got their back against the wall, 
crowd is going to be really energized and enormous early on. They won't want to get embarrassed. But it might be inevitable, Steve. I, th this could be... Yeah. This could be Miami and who, who did Miami Denver Broncos, the Dolphins Broncos game all over again. Well, Jason, here's the pressure on Shador is to make sure they score every single drive. Because, I mean, SC could literally put up 50 on anybody and they can do it quickly. And because of that, that defense, which does have issues in run fits, well, if your defense is already giving you. Uh, or your offense is giving you 50 points to play with, most of the times if you jump out to a lead, guess what? You make teams very one-dimensional. And as of now, based on the style of play with Dylan Edwards, who's a quick little running back, and they got Alton McCaskill, the transfer portal running back from Houston. He's more of a physical big back. I have yet to see Colorado actually just say, you know what? We're going to be more conservative, and we're going to grind the clock and keep the other offense off the field. That's not the way they play. They're a quick tempo, kind of an air raid spread. Sean Lewis does a really good job. But one of the ways you defeat Caleb Williams is to not let him on the field. But here's the problem, Jason. That's not what they do. I think it's what they're going – they are going to try to shorten this game. I think they're going to run the ball and punt. I really do. I think, I think they're going to consider – no, I, I really do. I think they're going to consider a punt – success and play field position football and try to make this a 42 to 10 game and 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 not 35 to 0 at halftime not not but if they can get to halftime and it's 24 to nothing I think they'll be very happy and and, and that's that sounds crazy I don't think they're going to play this game to win I think they're going to play the game not to be embarrassed oh can I quote Herman Edwards you just heard it here first you, you just heard it here first win the game hello you play to win the game okay now now i will be let's be fair about this first of all i don't think usc's defense can hold anyone to 10 points okay in fact they could be the only team on the field and may not be able to hold anyone to 10 points so <laughs> i expect colorado to score at least 28 to 30 okay but here's the problem i expect sc to score at least 50 to 60 so the question is will colorado cover the spread to me that's the question the spread's only 21. Only 21? Oh, that's what I said. Yeah, only 21. It's okay. the same as last week. And I okay. said last week. That's a 35-point right. game. I called it last week. That could be 52 to 30, and they'd still cover. See? 52 to 30. You'd cover. Steve, I, 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 I'm willing to. Colorado will not score 24 points. Can we bet oh, on that? We'll bet a dollar. We will shake on and it. I might be willing to go to – I might be willing to – you could talk me into saying 21 points. They will not score 21 oh, points. I'll give you 24. Because that's the type of person I am. 24. We'll, we'll shake on it when you're at JB's – well, you know what? We'll just shake on it now. I'm not taking that, that verbal thing, commitment thing. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. They're, they're going to run the ball and shorten this game. This will be a three-hour college football game. Watch, watch what okay. I tell you. And that's going to be right. part of the reason why they won't score 24 points. Last thing, and I don't need to drag you in this because I've already beaten up this point, but I do want you. I'm listening to my guy Kwame Brown, who I like, and he's criticizing me or whatever. This guy insinuated that Bobby Knight didn't get criticized. And what? I nearly fell out of my chair. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> First of all, he used to be on 60 Minutes, and it was not kind. He was on, like, E60. He was on, like, Beyond the Lines. I've been on a Bobby Knight binge the last couple of weeks, not only reading the book, but I'm fascinated uh, by his relationships with guys like um, Stu Robinson, Steve Alford, Daryl Thomas. But to say that Bobby Knight, there was a love-hate relationship that Bobby Knight had with the world. If you were his friend, he was loyal and he's the best. If you were his enemy, uh, he you wanted him to be dead and vice versa. But Bobby Knight is an interesting guy, uh, Jason. I don't know how much you got to cover him, but there's this one story that I really thought. First job was in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, Go my ahead. God. That must have been it. But there's one story that I love that said a lot about Bobby. And I read it a few times, but they they lose in the NIT finals in 85, the UCLA. I remember watching that kid. And, he, and there's a kid by the name of Winston Morgan, kind of a role player. It fell out of favor because he had gotten into some bad habits. And at the last team meeting, it's like three or four o'clock in the morning. He tells Winston, Winston, you're off the team. I don't like you anymore. You're done. You're not an Indiana Hoosier. If you want to transfer, I hope find you a school. Okay, but I want you out of here. So as he's walking out of the room, there's this coach by the name of Jim Cruz who slumped down in this aluminum chair. It's his last day at Indiana before he takes over the job at Evansville as the head coach. So Bobby Knight's just all right, get out of here. So Winston Morgan's walking out, and he sees Jim. At, uh, uh, he sees the coach, and he says, hey, coach, I want to thank you for all the help you've given me. I appreciate the time you put in. Good luck at Evansville. I know you're going to do great. And Bobby Knight says basically through – um, John Feinstein, because you know what? If that kid in the lowest moment of his life can wish someone else well and to shake a man's hand, you know what? He's okay. He's back on the team. I mean, Bobby, I, I find Bobby to be fast, but here's the thing. He wouldn't tell Winston Morgan for two months later, hey, you're still okay with me. But Bobby Knight is a fascinating character. But, but to say that he was the white knight of the media, it couldn't be more incorrect. Winston Morgan from Anderson, Indiana, started 21 games his last year at yeah. Indiana. Started 21 of 29 yeah. games his last year at Indiana. So, yeah, great story. Uh, Steve, I got to let you go. I got to do some I'll Tennessee Harmon. Saturday, maybe, maybe Saturday. I don't know. Maybe I've got a plane ticket. That's I got a plane ticket. So Okay, Cormani. Hopefully okay, I'll Cormani. be there. All right. Okay, Cormani Whitlock. Right. We'll see you, sort of. Tennessee Harmony, Anthony and Virgil next. The Kaepernick Method, previously on Fearless. I think the same enablers that taught Kaepernick and, and excused everything Kaepernick was doing, they're doing it all over again with Deion Sanders and, and, and trying to keep Deion above criticism. Seriously, there's all the caping up for Deion Sanders and, oh, he must be protected. And anybody that says anything uh, negative about Deion, they're racist or they're sellouts. It's the same people that, that think that shielding black public figures from any criticism is the key to making them successful. And, and that's just not the key. It's, just, it's stupid. Welcome back. Time for some Tennessee Harmony, and boy, do I need it. 
It's been a uh, great week of shows. Not that we're at the end of the week, but it's been a great four days of show. We've been so busy and jam-packed, and we've done two shows for you basically today, one with Warren Sapp, one me and Steve Kim, and the whole conversation about another conversation about Dion. I need a good change of pace, but we're staying on the topic of idolatry. Uh, and I, so there's a conversation I want to have with Anthony and Virgil about something I've wanted to have a conversation about for a long time. We'll do that here in a second. But first, Anthony will get us into the discussion with a prayer. Father God, we're thankful for today and thankful for uh, how you've blessed us throughout this week. Father, bless those who are listening. Uh, bless those, Father, who tune in each time uh, to not just talk about sports or politics or whatever, but just coming to hear a godly perspective. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been last two weeks obviously focusing a lot on idolatry. And I basically go to bed at night and and ask God, you know, put something on my mind as I try to sleep or I sleep to how can I advance the idolatry conversation? And one thing that I've I've been thinking about for maybe a solid 10 years, is like we've been moving away from biblical names. And, and part of, I had to come to this understanding when, and I've shared on the show, it's like our whole nickname deal. And when I started people calling me Big Sexy and me calling myself Big Sexy and doing building an identity around this nickname Big Sexy, and then it comes up again with conversations about prime time and Deion Sanders. And, and, and I've thought this for years, but it just really came home to me last night and just over the past few days about, as black people, we have been naming our kids non-biblical names, it seems to be fashionable for a large segment of us, of the younger generation. And, and it's, it's just another little disconnect from God. And, and I, I think that your name, particularly your first name, is critical and highly important. And then I wanted a biblical understanding of like, if you book of Genesis, it seems like God commands Adam to name everything. And it feels like when we've, the family has broken down, women are in charge of naming kids and men are not because we're not in the home, we're not in marriages, and, and, and we're not giving kids biblical names or names that even connect to their ancestors. You know, people used to be named after their grandmama. Now we're just inventing brand new names that have no historical. Anyway, I'm just, the, the whole, we'll start there, Anthony, with is it a man's job? And I really don't, I don't have a position or an answer to this. Is it a man's job to name his offspring? Not from a biblical space. That's not a like mandate that the man has to name his offspring. When you referenced Adam, Adam had a responsibility of naming all the animals. Uh, but another part of what Adam did in the naming practice was that everything that he named, he was responsible for. So if you want to gather from that, hey, if I name this, I'm responsible. And that's how we ended up with some traditions of surnames and things of that nature. This carries my name. I'm responsible for this. But it isn't a mandate. Uh, but I will say this from a biblical space. 
you know, a lot of times people look at those names in the Bible as uh, they have a certain type of reverence or a certain special nature to them. They do in that when we find God giving a name, he's not, you know, reaching off the top of his head to pick something random. He's naming them based off of the situation they're in, based off of the trajectory of their life, based off of an impact that he has on them. So there is more than just a sentimental reason why they name Abram, for example. His name was changed to Abraham because of the promise that God made to him. I'm going to make you father of many. Uh, Jacob, uh, he wrestles with God and thus after this wrestle with God and he struggled with God and he prevailed, God says from here on out, your name is going to be Israel. Well, that didn't just impact him. The word or the name Israel means to struggle with God. That name would later become adopted as the name of God's people because they struggled with God. So there's a reason why these names that God gave and there's so many other names that God gave have a significance. How that relates to us. Um, there is a process, you know, I've got two kids. There's a process that parents go through when they're naming their kids. I know for my kids, you know, I'm a, I'm a second. My dad has my name and, uh, my mom, she, she was like, Hey, you know, I don't know if I want to call him the same thing that I called his dad. So they call me by my middle name. I don't go by my first name, but when it came time to name our son, uh, my wife and I, we were like, she wanted to name him the third. And I said, man, I, I want him to have a name unique to him. Um, and and it's, it's a strong name that he has. You've met my kids. Our daughter was named um, because when she was born, uh, it was a surprise to us uh, that, that she was on the way. And there were so many issues that we went through, through the pregnancy, even her birth. And her name is Rain, uh, spelled like the Lord Reigns, R-E-I-G-N, because uh, we said about the entire pregnancy, hey, the Lord reigned or ruled over it all. So her name has that significance. I believe there should be a, a you know, a significance to the name. But to speak to your point, we have gotten to a place where, OK, we want to be creative. We want to have all these different names. Um, and, and I'm just sometimes curious as to, OK, what's the reason why we named them this? Because that name is going to leave an impression on them. It's going to impact their life. It can because of the culture we live in. It can impact their employment. Unfortunately, people look at names. So they'll, they'll say, hey, I, I see this name. Oh, this is a strong name. I wonder who, what, let me hear. But then they'll have another name they can barely pronounce. And they say, man, what's going on here? There's that stereotype uh, that plays into it. But take your daughter yeah. in terms, she, she's been told that story and will be told the story sure. her whole life. Right. That God reigned over your pregnancy. That's a strong, that's yeah. a proper, I don't even call it burden, but that, that's a proper way for her to think of herself. Right. That like, hey, I'm connected to God, even my name is. Virgil, uh, hop in here. First start with, is it man's responsibility to name his child and then go wherever you want to go. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with Anthony in, the, in that there's no biblical mandate for uh, the man to name uh, you know, their child or their children or what have you. But we do, again, 
as he mentioned, we have the example of Adam naming all of all of the animals, but he also named Eve. Right. And, and in mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. see and we see order. Uh, we see his we see his, uh, those who are named by others. Uh, what we're seeing is their role in authority, their role in oversight. Uh, you have in uh, Genesis chapter two, you know, she is bone of my bone. Adam says she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Uh, and then in Genesis three, you have the man said that, you know, the man would say that I will call her Eve. Right. Because she she will be the the, the mother of, of many. And so he he names Eve as well. And, and so it, it, again, shows you the alignment, the order, uh, the authority that that's in place there. To, to the points you guys have already made, names have taken on significance based upon the covenant that God had with a people, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Uh, names have taken on significance on the basis of something that need a significant incident or something that God wanted to remind his people of. And so there would be certain children that would be provided or given specific names uh, as well. Um, Jesus was named Jesus because he would save his people. His name literally means he will save his people. And so all, all, names take on great significance and, and we do need to think about them. I think what we're witnessing currently in culture is the idea that rather than connecting names to something of significance or to uh, grandma or grandpa or, or, or some historic relevance, we're just naming people by the on the basis of what we feel or what we think. And so there's there's no longer the the idea of of culture, of society, of class, of what we're doing. It's just, hey, I kind of feel like this name looks cool and I'll I'll write it in this way. And 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 we're naming children, giving little to no thought uh, to 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 the point you made, Jason, to the burden that we're placing upon them uh, when when we name them something that's that's you know ir- irreverent or or not or not signi- or, or insignificant. And I said this in the earlier conversation with Steve Kim, but it is what I love about this show is that I think there's like critical important conversations that people don't even know are critical and important. And I think we've gotten to a place where people aren't really thinking, about, hey, what are we doing here with these names? Right. And, and how important is it? And, 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 and I just think it's, it's vitally important because I was telling Anthony Virgil before the show, like, there's all these little things going on that we don't realize in real time are disconnecting us from God. And I was yeah. sharing with Anthony that I was seeing today that uh, Chea, I believe is her name, from Lives of TikTok, she was sharing that the word amen is demonetized over Twitter. And I read this and, and she gets a response from Elon Musk when she points it out. And, and, and this is what I've been saying about social media for a solid seven, eight years. Like, hey, this social media apps, they're training us to avoid God and to avoid talking about things in a godly way because in just little subtle ways, there are words or conversations that you can't have and you know you can't have because it will affect your following and your reach. And I've run into way too many people that like, man, I love y'all's content on Fearless, but if I hit like or retweet it, I know I'm gonna get penalized for it. 
And, and it, it's, it, people don't realize we're being moved away from God in all these little subtle ways, these social media apps, to even what we're naming our kids. And, and we need to think about that if we're ever going to, and, and obviously to, to me, and we talk about on this show all the time, you, you destroy the family, you remove man from the equation, you leave woman out there to make all these decisions herself, basically. I don't think we should be surprised that, you know, with some of the names we're getting with kids and, and, and you know, I, a lot of male names, in my view, have been feminized. Uh, and so I, I just, I'm glad we can have this conversation. I, I hope others, and I don't even have a great question. I just want you guys to jump back in. When we, when we look at how God designed the family and, and, and intended for reproduction, we go back again to the beginning. He wanted the earth to be filled, but this it would only be filled through the confines of a family, a husband, a wife bringing this into the world. David describes children as a heritage from God. This is a treasure from God, the child. So all of this, the, uh, the intimacy that produces the child is sacred in the bounds of marriage. The child itself is sacred, is, is, is holy. It's a, it's a holy thing from God. All of this is praise and glory unto God. So the naming process is one that should be uh, well thought out. You know, this is a thought process. Our church is, is blessed. We've got a lot of young couples uh, with a lot of young kids at our church. And, and, and I know so many of these parents on a very deep level, the naming of their children was a, you know, it was a deal. It was a process. There were several names because they want to honor a particular a grandparent or, or, or patriarch in their family. They want to honor God. There's a story attached to the name. There's a there's a whole lesson attached to this because of what it'll teach. Like like we've, we've said, it isn't a mandate biblically, but the traditional practice moving away from that, moving away from the family being together, moving away from all of that, you'll see what you get. Wasn't there a tradition that I think kids were named on the eighth day at baptism? Circumcised. Circumcised I, on the eighth day. I think some were actually named too. On the, I, I think I read that this morning okay. in, in, in some of my research. And it just, people, again, and it used to be connected to a baptism or whatever. You, you, you know, you, yeah. you, part of naming your, God, your child was bringing him to God or her to God. In this, yeah. And it seems like we've lost all of that connection. And, I mean, Virgil, jump back here. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the opposite of that is the opposite of what you and Anthony are articulating is is what culture is in, engaged in. And that is the deconstruction of language, uh, it, which includes names, uh, the deconstruction of all of the institutions that bring us together, that, that give us what we need in, in the way of family, uh, in the way of marriage and the way of the basic constructs of male and female. So culture is in a process of deconstructing that. Uh, and what we have to be about is, is, is reforming that. We, we need to be about reforming the family, restoring the family. We need to be about restoring masculinity. We, we need to be about, about embracing what femininity brings, the beauty of femininity uh, to, 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 to women. 
uh, the, the order of, of having rightly divided spaces and places for men and women, how we are indeed uh, different. While there's, while there's considerable value, we're all equal in, in the value that we have before God, we are indeed different. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, that's, a, that's a fact, that's a reality that we need to embrace and understand so that we can know exactly how we're to function in a, in a properly guided society that, that's under the, the, the guise, the auspice, the sovereign control of God himself. Virgil, you and I have talked this morning, we talked about Booker T. Washington and the book Up From Slavery and, and just how our ancestors years ago, again, when right after slavery, they didn't even have last names. Right. And so that's how Washington became a popular last name yes. for us is because we wanted to be connected to America. George Washington. Uh, we, we wanted to honor our, the people that our ancestors before us. That's how you got named after your grandmama and grandfather. We wanted some sort of biblical connection to names. And it seems like all of this we're walking away from. We don't want a biblical connection. We don't want to name kids after their ancestors. And we certainly don't want anything to remind us of America. And it, it, it's... Right. This is dangerous, man. Virgil, yeah. I, anyway, yeah. you brought it up this morning. Yeah, you yeah. Those, 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 those were the con those were the connections. As you as you read uh, the book up from slavery, he, you know, uh, uh, George Washington. He's he's listening. He's listening to Booker T. Washington. He's listening to what other people are saying uh, as as he as he determines his last name. Some took on the the, the slave master's last name. Others, in an effort to to say I'm free, I'm emancipated, looked and listened to other names or looked for other names. Many of them reached toward biblical names as they began to read. Others began to look within the nation, within the country, to say I'll take on that last name or this last name in an effort to promote who they were. And so you you had a variety of different ways that people attached names, but primarily, especially in the days after slavery, were connected to two things: either a something biblical. Uh, B, something familial, and, and C, I'll add a third, or something connected to the nation that would make them proud. And this is, this is moments out of slavery, a, 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 a condition that, that, that is horrific by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, I, I, I was listening to, uh, earlier today to your conversation with Vody Bauckham, where you were making the distinction that, that, that abortion is actually worse than slavery, but slavery nonetheless was a, was a horrifying condition in which we found ourselves but yet we still wanted to be tied in some way, shape, or form to the nation in which we were in. Uh, unless y'all got something to add, I gotta go get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a tiny bit of a tight schedule, but thank you guys so much. Uh, hope you all enjoyed today's show, uh, or today's two shows, actually. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow when we'll be... Got a great guest, Steve Baker. We're going to talk about uh, January 6th. Stay tuned for that tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and stand tall. To be a nation, one united. Now
Get to me Open up your eyes and see 